Hi, this is uh, Lester Quitsaw. You're listening to Talking Blues. It's funny, you were talking about yesterday when we thought about maybe doing the interview before the gig. You said, well, I find it difficult to relax and concentrate before the gig. Tell me about the thought process before your gigs. I just... The thought process before the gigs, I, I just like to n- not have anything other than the gig to focus on, you know. Um, just prepare myself for for being present on the gig, and uh, that's about all. The best I can do is to show up and and be open to whatever's going to happen in that next hour or two so I just kind of try and center myself is it a concentrated effort to focus in on on the gig every night usually it it used to be and then at this at the same time I'm pretty much not trying not now not to think ahead too much and just start being present and so if someone shows up and you know, I need to talk to them and 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 uh, be present. And well, that's part of the practice. That's part of the exercise. But generally, it's nice to have some quiet space and uh, just meditate a little bit and prepare for for being open to right. what's going to happen. So I'm talking to Leslie Quitzow. Is that the Quitzow? Quitzow. Mm-hmm. It's a Dutch name. Danish. Danish. You have your own band. You also play with Tricontinental. You also play with your wife. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me how music began for you. It was this... The earliest memory I think I have of music, I had a f- 45 for some reason. It was raindrops keep falling on my head. B.J. Thomas. So that's a bit of a... It's pretty. It's kind of a sad, lonely thing. And for some reason I related to that. I was four years old. And from that point on, music was my best friend for some reason. Do, do you remember why you had that single? I think it just, yeah, good question. Because I didn't come from a musical family or uh, it just, I think my mom bought a couple 45s and that was one of them. Um, we didn't have a lot of records or a lot of music in the house. My music came to me through my my older brother. He was six years older, so I was listening to his records at when I was eight years old. So he was a young teenager, sixteen. So he's listening to Led Zeppelin and all this British rock and heavy stuff. And so I was listening. That was my next uh, evolution from B.J. Thomas. Raindrops keep falling on my head. To the Monkees, I think we had that record too. To Led Zeppelin. And how did the guitar come into your hands? Uh, my mom had a guitar, learned a few chords here and there. It was something she wanted to do, just, you know, strum along and and play a few songs. So she tried that for a while and, and then put it down, and it sat downstairs in the storage room for years. But I remember seeing it, and and I was just this little guy rummaging around in the storage room, and I found that guitar pulled it out and said, Mommy, can I play the guitar? And I think I was I was ten then or something or nine. 
and just grabbed it and and um, played around on it a bit and then mom uh, gave me some lessons she didn't give them to me she offered lessons from a guy across the alley young guy that was going to university to become a music teacher so he needed to practice being a teacher and so I took a few lessons from him and but basically been self-taught and couldn't read music very well and uh, just um, it evolved from there. Do you remember what, what song you wanted to first learn? Uh, what type of music you wanted to learn? Well, yeah, it was pretty much Led Zeppelin. I just wanted to be Jimmy Page. <laughs> Who doesn't? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, a whole lot of love blew my mind at eight years old. And could you learn that in a relatively short period of time? No, it took me years. I couldn't play hardly anything until I was 18 or 19, and we were still bonking out uh, bar chords and stuff. Uh, it took a long time. It didn't come easy for me. It's been a slow, steady journey. Really? Yeah. Because I listen to guitar playing. It just blows me away. Huh. But this is something that's still in the works. Yeah. Um, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface now. Wow. Um, tell me about the decision to become a musician. Mm, that came early. Like I said, I just as soon as, as soon as I could um, uh, have some freedom to 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 play and, and do my own thing, um, made me realize I wanted to be a, a musician because I didn't want a normal life. It seemed I just. Yeah, didn't want a house with the white picket fence. I just wanted to travel around and play music. So I had a friend who was a drummer. He lived down, down the road uh, a couple blocks away, and, and he would come over and we would just jam. And we just had dreams being in a rock band. That's funny, because right now, do you not play with just the drummer at times? At times, yeah. Through the recently... You know, play, playing with just guitar and drums, which I love. Hey, isn't that something? I never thought about it. That's where I started. There's something magical about two people grooving. It's very intimate, right? And there's no other distractions. A trio is a different dynamic. A four-piece, then all of a sudden it's a group, you know, but two people. It's very special. And there's, you just lock in and you can go wherever you want to go. It's very conducive to... Uh, improvisation so how does that work when you do solos and things i mean is there's pieces missing because you don't have the bottom end or yeah a little bit you're a bit limited but at the same time i like to my big thing lately is playing with space more so than what i play so as a duo we tend to play less than instead of more instead of trying to fill in that space so it takes a lot of concentration in that you're playing around around the groove and um, implying things as opposed to playing them so you picture these things you picture the part picture the rhythm guitar or whatever and instead of playing it just implying a chord here and then maybe soloing a little bit playing some notes it's it's a matter of not playing for the most part and I get Michael the drummers I'm working with, 
to to approach it in the same way. How much of that is improv, and how much of that is completely worked out ahead of time? Oh, the improv, I'd say, is seventy percent, and you you work out a few things here and there, little posts and punctuations, and and but for the most part, it's 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 uh, heads up hockey. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of sports, you were also a snowboarder. Is that correct? Yeah, it was a. That was a whole chapter in my youth. Uh, long before snowboarding was ever ever on anyone's radar, really. I saw a picture of this guy surfing this board. It was an ad in the early '80s, believe it or not, and. I just saw that surfing on snow and I go, oh my God, I got to do that. And it took a lot of effort and about four months to even find a snowboard, a, a guy, a place where I could buy a snowboard. There was a handful of guys in California making them, skateboarders, surfers. So I became, got involved in this early culture, this uh, snowboarding, pioneering stage of snowboarding where they were just trying to figure out how to make these things work and they had fins on them and they were like a they were like a cross between a skateboard and a uh, uh, a surfboard and I was into skateboarding so I got into that and it was so cool like I tend to find these obscure things in life and I love the pioneering figuring stuff out as opposed to jumping in after it's all figured out and methodically uh, formulated. So when when they, when they I read that you're a pioneer in the snowboarding field, so that means that a lot of people weren't doing it and you were figuring it out at the very beginning. How mm -hmm. far did that go? Well, there was about 20 of us that I, you know, that we all knew each other in, in sort of North America that there was probably more, but uh, it grew. And so that it it came to when there was the first couple competitions, you know, and that was just basically 30, 40 guys showing up at the same resort and, and there was gates set up. So a few competitions, there was the first competition, you know, North American snowboarding competition, wow. bank slalom in Mount Baker. I think that was the one. And, you know, I went to a few of these and I just sort of realized that I couldn't do pursue both music and snowboarding music was a greater passion I didn't like the competition that was beginning in sport I've never really been into sport but uh, you know surfing is it's a it's a a one person kind of thing you know and, and snowboarding was that for me too it's like a groove it's like music you you get into this groove you're and so I wasn't really into the competition and the business and it's starting to get weird. So I just got in more into music. Our first band was was starting then. And uh, Did you have a plan when you said, okay, I'm going to pursue music and I want to follow the stream? Um, not much of a plan. Just following my nose, I guess, and keep kept working hard at it. Like I said, I wanted more to be in a rock band. And then, you know, I realized where all that rock music was coming from and got into blues and uh, went to the Ambassador Hotel in Edmonton where all these Chicago blues bands were coming through. And 
so it evolved from being a wanting to be a rock rock guy into just this passion for this blues this simple form this very expressive form of music and uh and that evolved into playing a lot of bars blues bars and uh the smoke back then you know bars with smoke <laughs> if you if you would have told me there would be a day that where there would be no smoking in bars i would have said not in a million years <laughs> and sure enough it happened it's just like life is such a trip so now bars are you know tolerable there's no smoke but at the time it was killing killing me me and i was into health and being healthy i wasn't really into bar lifestyle so i was determined to get out of bars and so that meant strapping an acoustic guitar on my uh motorcycle and doing these little folk gigs cafe gigs you know and this is before there was a lot of there was the folk clubs, I believe, but it, there wasn't a lot of people playing music in small venues. So we sort of created, sort of created your own scene, and approached some place. It just started with one gig in some place in Cranbrook, B.C. And next thing you know, they talked to a friend and I'd owned a coffee shop and somewhere else and I could drive to these places and six dollars of gas and, and make 50 bucks and still be better than playing a bar right. so tried to cultivate that folk circuit and then my dream was to play some festivals and and because that was more conducive to uh, you know honoring the music and you weren't playing for um, drunk people for, for a whole night so that was my dream. So my rock, it went from being a wanting to be a rock rock and roll guitar player to sort of just wanting to play good music in nice venues. When you said that you decided to go, when you just, I don't know if it was discovered blues, but when you decided to go down the path of the blues, like what was it that made you move from rock to blues? Was there was there a moment or was there an instant that you said, oh, I should really consider this, or was it a gradual thing? Well, I think it was someone giving me a record, John Lee Hooker record, or his dad was a was a music fan, and uh, we got into this record, and it's like whoa! And then we heard the influences, we heard heard where um, the stuff was coming from, and then I ended up being able to see John Lee Hooker in this little bar in Edmonton, and from that point on, it's I just wanted to play music that had that intensity and emotion and feel and the fact that I wasn't musically educated it's a three chord progression and you can express yourself with this it's like a language you know and that you learn and uh, I think that was the attraction too but when you see somebody the legendary John Lee Hooker and you're some young kid in Canada and say, okay, that's what I want to do. I mean, is it an easy thing to think that that's where you want to be or that's the goal? Is it an easy thing? Well, um, like the choice to say, okay, that's the kind of thing that I want to do, but to be a Johnny Hooker with. Yeah, that's the funny thing. We all, it inspires us, but there's, there's no way I can even come close, really. So it becomes, it evolves into something that is me eventually. At first, we try to emulate and as a young guitar player, and now I don't, I'm just trying to be myself. And, uh, 
but it inspires you and it, it gives you something to shoot for and um, yeah at first I you know I listened to some of my old live recordings from when I was in that stage and I just you know I'm embarrassed because I'm trying to make my voice all gruff and sound like these guys and they, right now I think that's you know it's just so ridiculous but it's taken all these years to find myself and just be that at this point and here I am 53 and finally just feeling comfortable with that and I'm enjoying music more than ever just because I realize I just got to be myself but it took a lot of exploring and not being that and trying really hard and to, to relax and just nobody can be Lester Kutzoff better than me so I just got to do that was there a point I know it's not one moment but I, I expect that it's a gradual thing but was there a point where you thought okay I have my own voice or I have my own sound mm. it's taken a long while to really accept that and honor that and like that right like mm-hmm. my sound I've been pretty self-critical and uh, it's never good enough kind of thing in yoga they call that samskara the same voices in your head going over and over and over again and they're still there but I just don't listen in anymore and uh, and just keep working towards honoring that voice and liking that voice um, there's elements that I've liked over the years and of my playing and there's parts that that I wish were different and at some point you just got to accept what is and uh, honor that and and move on and, and let go and that's sort of where I'm at now that's it's almost like I'm starting a second chapter in my in my career I took a break from it from uh, playing a lot live and, and just mainly because the business and making a living at it was all so frustrating and it was taking the joy out of it and through that letting go and, and, and walking away from it, I've found a new freedom and it's just so amazing where I'm at now. Playing music, it's so special. Every time I play, it's just for the music. Uh, hopefully, you know, I can get paid for it here and there. And uh, and just like here we are back to just being, being myself, honoring that and uh, having a good time. When you started in the coffee houses and doing the acoustic thing, was that still blues or were you doing more folk stuff? It was blues for the most part with the odd folk song. Um, and then, yeah, Mississippi John Hurt. And uh, yeah, it wasn't too much folk tunes. Maybe a, a few orig- few originals, uh, a, f- a few folky tunes. I've never been one to play the traditional things traditionally uh, I, I learn that and it influences me and then it ends up coming out the way it does because maybe I'm not that good at it emulating and, and studying um, yeah do you mind talking about walking away from music how, how difficult was that oh it was pretty pretty hard but I was just kind of so miserable about going on tour and paying the guys and exhausted and then not ha- and then coming home broke you know just it's a it's been a shift in there was a shift in with the digital 
digital age and, and not being able to sell many CDs anymore. I mean, every musician will tell you it's, it's ever-changing. But so walking away from it and then getting a day job, uh, I was a professional musician for 25 years. It was humbling and difficult. I thought it was the way to go, but in the end, I needed to play, I needed to, my soul demanded it, really. How long did it take for you to realize that? A couple of years. It was a rough couple of years, but I've come out the other side. I lost my dad as well, and uh, dogs. There was just a lot of grieving, grieving my career, grieving the loss of my, my dad and, 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 and creatures that I love. For some reason, um, it all happened at once, and uh, I just come out the other side with appreciation for everything. And it's amazing how things go. Can I ask you, I mean, maybe what you just answered, but what did you learn from that experience or going through that dark period? Um, how, to, how to let go, I guess. Um, also, build some strength. It helped me build strength to... It just did, gave me opportunity to do some soul searching and realize that I do have a gift of some some sort it's a gift to be able to channel and and connect with i call it the uh, the groove or i call it god really it's it's this thing that music is this magical thing and and we connect with with uh the the ability to do that um to play and um i learned to let go and i learned sort of it became clear as to what I was about what I'm about and what I should be doing in this uh, this time here that I have in this body did you pick up the guitar oh yeah I played oh, a lot okay. I mean I was woodshedding I was still wanting to play but letting go of the whole performing thing and uh, just trying to focus on staying at home and I also wanted to build more community closer to home wanted to stay close to home because traveling on the road your community's large but it's not that deep as well you roll into a town you have friends you say hi but you're not there when when they have a baby or you're not there when all these things happen and so being a part of a small community staying at home that was a good exercise and it, a good ex, not an exercise a good experience and so I wanted that as well so I did that and it's just, it was a very humbling experience trying to think of a new career or some way of making a living. Um, it was kind of stressful. Uh, thought of going back to school, all these things. Um, it all led back to what can I, I've got so much time in this life, what can I best spend my uh, time doing? Should we shut the window, do you think? <laughs> Yeah, we can do that. <laughs> Pretty close. Joe Weedlack. It was humbling and hard, and um, I found myself working for for 20 bucks an hour, a hard labor kind of thing, like physical labor. It's like 53 is not the time to take that up. So I just realized, you know, I can be smarter at this. I can still make a living playing music. It, it's going to be better than... Than that. I live on a small island too, so there's not a lot of options. 
really f to make a living and I wanted to stay in this small rural community so so because I always ask musicians about if they ever doubted what they do and you obviously did and you actually did something about it mm -hmm. at what point because that's a pretty ballsy move and it's I can imagine how difficult that would have been do you remember what made you decide I need to get back into music was there a moment um Yeah, when I mean, I tried that. I tried the alternate route for a while, and it it wasn't working out so well. And I certainly wasn't happy. So it's mainly my happiness. My soul was just screaming out, "What are you doing? This is not what you should be doing." Not that anything's bigger or better than 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 another. It's 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 nothing wrong with doing physical labor for for a living. It is just that um, it wasn't what my path was meant to be it became very clear so kept willing myself through it and just getting harder and harder so yeah just deciding okay I'm going to be open let's just see what happens now and uh, I also the biggest frustration is is also with the digital age I'm very challenged I don't even have a I just start I, I just have a cell phone now and and to do all these things to promote yourself, I was a one-man show, so I, I kind of got burnt by the business too, doing everything, promoting. Right. I'm happy hanging up posters. You know, I did that for years, but sending out stuff on Facebook and and trying to do all that stuff, I wasn't very good at. So I was seeing the numbers that my gigs go down and thinking, oh, I'm, it's all going to hell. But basically, it's it was just me not being able to function as well in this new digital age. So it still hasn't gotten easier. So, but I'm not so attached to how it's going. How long have you been back? Oh, a couple, three years. Okay, so yeah, three or four years. I mean, it looks like things are really happening right now. Is that? It's with Tricontinental. It's it's really great as soon as you commit to something it seems like things start to unfold and I also have I also had a s s fairly negative uh, pattern of thought and so now I just try to keep it positive and and uh, if I get negative thoughts about things I just try to nip them in the bud and uh, keep it positive and that that really works it really it really does so I was seeing my career heading for the ditch and then that's all I could see that's all I could see and sure enough that's where it goes and then now I keep it positive it's just all of a sudden new opportunities everything's it's just embracing the, the now embracing the way things are just stop complaining about everything and uh, having a good time it's uh, I don't know um, Continental is Madagascar Slim Bill Bourne and yourself how did that start? And we have a drummer now named Michael Treadway who's just gluing it all together. It's amazing. It started with um, Bill and Slim met at a place in Toronto. Uh, I'll just condense the story. Um, I had an agent named Hugo Rampin, a booking agent, and he had known Slim and was booking Slim. And he got us, three of us together, thought it would be a good idea. And sure enough, it was, and 
the initial thing was it was going to boost our solo careers, you know, like collaborating, and then we'd go off and do our solo careers, and and they, we would be getting more work, and uh, it turned out to be a bigger deal than any of us would have imagined. The first recording we did was live off the floor, and we didn't expect anything, and it won a Juno Award in 2000. All of a sudden, boom, all those festivals wanted to book us, and... Um, and it was just happening, just like that. So we did that for about eight years, and uh, and then took a break. And now we're fired it up again, and have a new record out, and it's just better than ever. So. Um, and you also have a following in Europe, which is where you're going this yeah. afternoon. How yeah. did that happen? Tricontinental Hugo, our our manager agent, um, secured a record record label over there, and so that label called Tradition and Modern they they booked tours for us and, and set things up. And so we went and toured there at least twice, once a year for about eight years, released three or four CDs over there. And so we had people working for us over there and uh, developed quite a following of Germany and other places in Europe. Wow. Um, if we step back a little bit, yeah. the, the, the thing that I find not amazing about you, but what I love about your playing is your slide playing. Um, where did that come from? Well, it started with hearing Elmore James and wanting to emulate Elmore James, very basic uh, foundation, and uh, just branched out from there. There's the Allman Brothers. remember listening to them, wanting to be like Dwayne Allman, and just evolved from there. And slide was also way back then. It wasn't very common. I'm talking back then being the early 90s, late 80s, mid 80s. Uh, you know, it was fairly unique. There was not many exclusive slide players. And a lot of blues guys, you know, would pull out a slide and play a few tunes on the slide sort of thing. And so it just, it was a way to be unique and stand out at first. And, but then it just evolved into, um, into this thing. And now, the slide, the level of slide playing compared to, to back then is just amazing. You've you got your Derek Trucks. And Sonny Landreth was the first guy to really change and advance. His influence advanced my slide playing when he'd play behind the slide so you could actually play chords like a minor chord when you're in a major tuning and stuff like that. Okay, so when I interviewed Sonny, and told, we talked about that. Hmm. And I, I watched the video of yours this morning, and I noticed that you had done that. And I thought, well, he must have gotten that from Sonny. Is that something you got visually, or could you figure that out from his records? I think I heard his records, and I said, holy, holy moly, what's he doing? And I went and saw him in Montreal. And then I thought, okay, yeah, that's how he's doing it. This is before YouTube, and yeah. you had to go out and see people over and over and over again. Like, you think how many times you watch a YouTube video to catch what some dude is doing. <laughs> well, you got to go and see the guy at least three or four times sometimes. And uh, so I, I just saw him once, and then I saw that, and I go, okay. So it made sense to you immediately? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And well, it takes a long time to, it took a long time to get it so it wasn't awkward and get it sounding like something. So where did he get it from? Did he just invent that? Did you know? 
I'm not really sure. I think he did. I have to go back to this. But, but I know that he told me he saw Dwayne Allman and he was blown away by him. But at, at the same point, he thought it would be better if he didn't listen to too much slide yeah. or Dwayne Allman so that right. he wouldn't be copying him, which I right. thought was an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought he was just fiddling around. But I could, I could, right. I have to double check that. Yeah. Um, but you're an exceptional player. Um, not that you play slide in every song, but it is a big part of your sound from what I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, what's the thinking of that? Like when you write a song, do you know, like, does this, does the slide part come in as you're writing? Like, do you, do you picture it Mm. in the composition? Not really. No, I don't decide whether it's going to be slide or regular guitar. Um, I've got a couple tunings that are conducive to certain, a couple tunings that I use that are conducive to a certain vibe or a certain chord shape and, uh, yeah, it's very simple, really. <laughs> that's what that's what everybody says, right? It's, what's a quote? It's everything's difficult until it becomes easy. <laughs> so, in the time off that you had, and you were still playing, when you came back into music, how different a player were you? Um, or did anything change? Yeah, I find myself playing less, more comfortable in my own skin it, it, just more comfortable with being myself and so then it just every note becomes not more valuable but more um, uh, I'm just more economical and just playing more with space so it actually gets easier it's, it's like a I just gotta be cool about it that's all and that's I mean oftentimes young players tend to be very busy in their playing yeah exactly and I don't know if it's just a maturity process or it could be I think it's different for every situation you know depends who you are inspired by some people want to play fast and a lot of notes and, and, and that's their passion and that's what they get good at so there's nothing neither is good or bad I just find that it's like I remember hearing an interview with Bill Frizzell, and who's a great inspiration to me. He uses a lot of space and has a unique phrasing. And uh, he basically said his style has evolved because he couldn't play fast like all those other guys, you know. And so I realize I'm, you know, somewhat similar. And my thing, I think, from what people tell me and from self. Uh, observation is it is it has a lot to do with feel what I put into it so you know if I just hone in on distilling things uh, that's sort of what what it can be about for me did you write during the time when you weren't playing in public uh, for a while there I didn't do anything in that field and then when I decided to get back into it, it the writing came a little easier, yeah. Is that an easy process for you, writing songs? No, it's always been hard and painful. I've got this jury, this gauntlet of uh, the jury that it has to go through, and and rarely back then did it did it. There was a lot of great, wonderful ideas that the jury would just poo poo. So <laughs> I've dealt with the jury, and now my writing is 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 getting a little 
easier and uh, I just let it come. So how different is your playing when you play with your wife or when you play with Tricontinental or when you play with your trio or the duo? Is it is it just you, just in different formats, or do you actually approach things differently? Yeah, each one is different, for sure. The most freedom I have is with a duo at this point, because I've got someone to be with, someone to lean on, someone to work with. So there's strength in that, and then there's freedom in that I'm not carrying the whole thing. So solo is, there's big freedom and I can be myself and do whatever I want, but sometimes it gets a little hard because you got to carry it all and uh, a whole night and have enough diversity of material. And um, and then there's a trio uh, doing my stuff. You know, I'm free, free to do my material. And the 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 thing still revolves around my material and and my songs. And there's the extra added thing with the bass player and the drummer being the rhythm section unit supporting that. So that's pretty awesome. And then there's Tricontinental. We've got these three characters, and we all have something different, and we're trying to make it work within each other. There's such a strength in that. Um, but there's only so much of our own thing that yeah. we can become attached to or... And that's why it's better now. I think we've all let go of our own little agendas wanting this, my song with these guys to sound like me. Well, my song with these guys is going to sound like Tricontinental. And we've all kind of let go of that, I think, and surrendered to the fact that Tricontinental is this whole other entity. So there's no egos trying to, or, or there's no attachment to, to my songs being my songs you know and then playing with May is really really special in that we've got this bond and this connection and uh, uh, it's difficult learning May's it was learning May's songs because she plays in these open tunings that are crazy and you can't play certain chords on a regular tuning it was a real challenge to and I learned a lot wow so tell me what it feels like to be going on the road or going to Europe this afternoon for uh, a tour with Tricontinental. Oh, it's super exciting. But this is like the first time in a seven while, years, right? Wow. Six years, seven years. Yeah, it's super exciting because it's all, it's all new in, in some ways, but and yet it's not. We've got this foundation. We've, it's like going back and water plant we planted a whole bunch of seeds and going back to see if any of those plants are alive still those those fans are still there and uh and yet and the people we used to work with you know everyone's grown and evolved and changed and it's this tribe coming back together again and dusting things off and seeing how how it's all going to work and um did it did it feel right immediately after seven years yeah that's the thing and as soon as we all talked we started with just toying around yeah we should get together again and I think we were all in a place where we were open to it we had time and and we needed to uh, go out and play again and this was the strongest perhaps that collaboration create created a strong uh, 
thing in the marketplace as well. So, yeah, we're all just ready, and as soon as everyone commits, it's amazing how things tend to unfold. It's all happened very fast. Coming back together, recording, booking some tours. It's all really good. And do you know how the audience is going to react or if the audience will be there after seven years? Because I never know, you know, you're away for seven years if they're actually are well, still... We'll find out, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But so far, you've been playing since March, is that correct? Oh, and we did shows last year too. It's been a year, two years since since we started up again. Yeah, there's still people out there um, that, that uh, were fans before. Everyone's getting older. It's time to uh, start cultivating a, a younger audience, and then we're shooting for that as well. The the tunes, a lot of the tunes, some of the tunes rock a little harder than they ever have, and uh, it's not as much folk music as it is just a, a more of an eclectic blend at this point. It it's, doesn't fit into any one genre, mm-hmm. which it never did. And I think that's why Tricontinental is so interesting for the audience. You don't get tired of any, any one thing because it's, it's really diverse. Well, I know you're busy, about to go out, get on a plane. Um, thank you so much for doing this. As, as wow. I said, you know, it was probably 12 or 15 years ago that I first reached out and said, I'd love to interview you one day. And it's taken <laughs> this long, but I'm <laughs> thrilled to do this. So thank yeah. you so much for taking the time. Thank you. It's a real pleasure. Thank you.